0: Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the RevOps podcast, and I'm joined as as usual by Jonathan and Brandon. Go ahead and say hi, guys.
1: Hey guys, how's it going?
2: Hey guys.
0: And this week we have a special guest. It's another awesome guest episode. Super excited. Rachel Nijan is is here to join us. Uh, Rachel, I really, I know I asked you twice. I think already if I would pronounce your name is that right?
3: You nailed it. You nailed it. One of cool. the books.
0: Perfect, perfect. It was I, I practiced like three times in advance. But uh, Rachel is the head of business operations at Lunchbox, and I'm, I'm really excited to to have you with us today because you and I have actually messaged back and forth. A little bit over the past year, just sort of bouncing ideas around, and I think your perspective adds a ton of value, and I think it's going to add a, a ton of value for the listeners. And and uh, you you've sort of switched over to Lunchbox, I think about a year ago now, as the head of business operations. So I'd I'd love to start there. Like how, how did you how did you land at Lunchbox?
3: Yeah, happy to. I, going into this podcast, I was actually looking back to see how you and I connected, and I cold outreached you in February. It's almost a year ago at this uh. point. Yeah, I was looking. I think, for people. I think one
0: of your questions from back then, I actually recycled it for use on the podcast as a this week on LinkedIn question. Thank oh, you. Nice. got a feature on there from that cold outreach. I remember
1: that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was one of the first this week on LinkedIn's. So that's awesome.
3: That's amazing. Well, happy to happy to come full circle that way. Yeah, I, I was looking for folks that so full circle to why I end up at Lunchbox and why I. Uh, found you. And we actually didn't fun fact connect for several months after that. So we were just in the DMS. Um, (laughs) so, (laughs) you know, as one does these days,
0: keep it, keep it classy, Rachel.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We're all, we're all in silos right now. So how do I end up lunchbox? So I've been in startups for a while now. This is my fourth startup. I have, I love this stage. I love this phase of a business life cycle. Um, my very first startup, I came in from corporate, I was doing corporate contract work and moved into a hospitality tech company doing customer success. I uh, grew out of that role a little bit, grew into company operations, which was a role that didn't exist. And I think that's a theme throughout my career of like, this wasn't here before I got here, which is either a really good sign or a really uh, a leading indicator of something good or bad. And so I was in company ops there and did business operations for that company, um, through a B round and then moved cities, moved companies, went ed tech, did client operations. Uh, then I got approached to start a whole operations function at a FinTech company doing CS and sales and ops and professional services and HR and kind of, you name it. And I was looking to go for a company that was a little more high growth, a little more, uh, Growth focused, if you will. And so I came over to Lunchbox. They were looking for someone to come in to be their first ops hire. Going back to your question, why Lunchbox? They're looking for someone to be the first person. I at this point seen operations work in a lot of ways and a lot of lessons learned uh, for three companies in a row. And I was excited to come in and try to get it right the first time. We'll see. Uh, closest one so far, uh, but it's been a really cool learning op- opportunity.
1: Well, so, how, how big is Lunchbox at this point?
3: 235.
1: Okay, that's not bad. You guys have grown a lot this year, right?
3: I was employee like sixty-ish at the start oh, of the year. Wow,
0: Jesus, nice.
2: that's amazing! Wow, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah,
3: that's
0: that's awesome. So, hundred hundred and seventy hires at yeah.
3: least. Yeah, total science wow. experience. It's been it's been a it's been a really cool journey.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So, so you're. For all of our listeners, your title is not RevOps. Your title is Business Operations, Head business of Business Operations. operations. Uh,
1: it is. What, this is the
0: RevOps what? podcast. What, what are I you know, doing? I said nothing. <laughs> it started in the was, DMs and now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
3: really,
0: yeah, I'm pretty sure that I, I think the message might have even caveated that. Like, I'm starting an ops role. It's not totally like RevOps. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, so. But I think, that's, I think that's actually where we started. So I've known from the start. Um, it's the same but, family. But but um, <laughs> you've got a background that's that's I mean RevOps right like you've got a very extensive RevOps background and I also I also know from our conversations that RevOps essentially is a department for you at at Lunchbox yep. and that you've structured that out and done a bunch of stuff. So I think you're going to add a ton of value to to our listeners in that regard. What else does business operations do? We'll talk about RevOps. We'll get there everybody who's listening oh, okay. just pump the brakes yeah. for we a second. But like what what does t- tell us what is business operations? What the heck does that mean?
3: I see business operations, and it's not the same from company to company. It's all super, super stage-specific when you actually are talking about the organization. But I see business operations and revenue operations as almost like a square and a rectangle. Like a square is revenue operations. And to me, it's always a type of business operations. And then business operations can be a lot of different things. And that's how we've structured it at Lunchbox. It's what I came in to hopefully build. And so far, we're pulling it off. But business operations is intentionally a bit of a catch-all. There's a couple of folks that have written really interesting articles about it that I'll go ahead and plug. Um, the COO at, or he might have been the VP of operations at the time at Intercom wrote a really cool, what is BizOps and why do you need it uh, perspective. This The business operations lead at Lemonade recently wrote a really amazing article about what is business operations. The biggest theme is that if you've hired the right folks to run BizOps, they are coming in and solving problems that you didn't know you had but then also solving them to the point where they could be handed off and um, codified and operationalized in a more specific role. So that was how we ended up with revenue operations at lunchbox. I came in as the first dedicated ops hire. And I I know we'll get to rev ops in a second, but I came in as the first dedicated ops hire. And at that time my role was about probably 70, 30 of a sales ops, a traditional sales ops function and then biz ops, everything else. And with the intention of growing out an independent function. And we did, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But now my day-to-day is almost like an internal consultant. We're here to vet out, build, and streamline new initiatives and then hand them off when either they're proven or when it's time to sunset. Um, and then constantly kind of rinse and repeat for whatever's best for the business. I actually strongly believe you grow out of business operations as a, as a company. Um, my job should exist. You grow out of your shouldn't own exist. Job. I, yeah, if I'm doing my job right, I work myself out of a job.
0: <laughs> so, so, so how long till you're out of a job? Cause we uh, could be hiring. At,
3: at this rate, <laughs> at this rate, um, could be, no, uh, hopefully I'm working myself into the next job at the same time. But if I'm doing the same thing I'm, I was doing at the beginning of the year, either the company's stale or I'm stale. And one of those is probably causing a problem.
0: Got it. No, that, that's a, I love that. That's actually, I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like if, if either one of those two things is stale, it's not working, and therefore y- there's no reason to keep trying something that's not working, right? Well, Correct. when when you grow out of that job, if you you know you're looking, we're hiring at Ring DNA, and we probably, probably <laughs> not flag. as fast as y'all, but we're hiring, so revenue let it guy. Go. Um, little yeah. did you know this is a recruitment call. Uh, it, but interesting,
3: interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, was, that, was,
0: that was a very lack of interest response to my recruitment <laughs> effort. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving what? on. Rachel's not Even interested happened. in joining revenue.io. Sorry, I said Ring a moment ago. Just, <laughs> that's that's get, true. Yeah. Rebrand. Well, maybe uh,
1: we'll just have to sell her Ring DNA or Revenue.io.
0: Yeah. So, so, so Rachel, <laughs> you, you, joined, you joined at 60 employees. And you were you were like employee number sixty, and you were the first ops hire. So yes, when do you need revOps? Like I, I want your take on this. like when when do you need to make that ops hire and start building this out?
3: So it's a dance. You don't want to come in too soon because then they're building theory, and you don't want them to come too late because then they're buried in operational debt. A mm. lot of people know about tech debt as a company. You're generally always saddled it with it as you're growing. Um, Op debt is the hashtag I didn't know I needed to start. It's the conversation that, uh, um, you know, folks don't want to come in and clean up. And so to answer the question, I came up with some general benchmarks. I mean, you can go after, you know, a one to 20 ratio of sales ops to sellers or one to 10 ratio or whatever it might be. For me, when I think about hiring for operations, whether it's a biz ops or a rev ops or anything across the board, I think about the language that they're speaking. And how much they have to speak it, which sounds really silly. But how much of my day is talking about a certain topic? And therefore, it kind of determines, like, you can't expect your AEs to be building out things in Salesforce or to be Mm. knowing how to stitch their systems together. If that's taking them away from revenue generating activities, you've now grown into the need for someone that's doing this stuff. Um, similar to me in a business operations role, I know my ceiling when it comes to rev ops. And so as we were getting close to that ceiling, both in terms of volume and expertise, that's what I knew to bring in um, people that, that know even more than I do on that. So when you're thinking about ops hires, your first ops hires are always going to be inch deep, mile wide. Hopefully, if you've hired the right person, they've seen a lot of great uh, scenarios. And then as you continue to grow as a company, you start to reverse that. And it becomes a little bit of You think about the big tech companies, if you're in an ops function there, you are mile deep, inch wide, really specialized.
1: I completely agree with that. Like, I, on the marketing side, I always, um, you know, there's an idea they're called the, the T shaped marketer, right? And as you're earlier in your career, I think that is the way you have to go. And that is the way you work yourself up. And then you can eventually become a, V-shape or M-shape. I think there's a lot of shapes being thrown around there these days, but I think that's the best way to, to start your career, right, is uh, get expertise, get experience across a lot of different functions, a lot of different areas so that you can be, you know, um, effective to everyone else in the company, right? I, I want to know not just marketing, I want to know success, I want to know implementation, I want to know, um, obviously, sales, SDRs. So if if I can have that wide breadth and then really go deep on one specific thing, um, and then and then I can start to actually go deep on another, and that's when I might actually you know get more opportunities in my company, or you know jump to another company and, and potentially uh, you know level up in my career. Um, so that I, I agree with that hundred um, percent. Uh, did, back. Did, did, right. are we going to
0: have to cut some Brandon stuff out of this do we have too much <laughs> <Brandon's laughs> <here>? we <We're not laughs> I'm sorry up. to the audience this we're is just disjointed it's not even like my internet just went off and you know like I just feel bad for the audience that they have to sit through Brandon <laughs> <things. laughs> that's, that's what I really regret out of this so far um no like keep, keep going sorry I will, I will catch back up where were we at
1: yeah, no, we have no idea where we lost you. But, but okay, let's, let's, let's go on to our, our next question here um, is, so, well do, well, do you have any other advice for people kind of coming up um, earlier in their careers, uh, how to approach actually getting into either RevOps or uh, BizOps?
3: Yes. The biggest thing and this actually goes, Brandon, a little bit to your, your shape analogy, and I'll leave it at that to to let Jordan wonder a bit of where, what direction we went.
0: <laughs> I could hear um, you guys, you just couldn't hear me. So I listened to almost all, all of it. <laughs> I heard you go like, Well we lost Jordan, now we can actually have a good podcast, blah 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 blah. All of that, just so you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Safe guess. So my advice for someone getting into the field in any field operations specifically, it generally doesn't come with a manual where, you know, if you're, if you're going into sales, there's a lot of incredible sellers out there that can give you a really great blueprint. There's just not that for operations. And it used to drive me crazy. And now that I've seen a little bit more of it, I realize it's a bit by design. And so that's why, full circle, I had reached out to Jordan at the beginning of the year because I realized I had let that piece of my operations toolkit get a little bit dull and I had to re-up and he gave me a, a lot of really great names to follow. And so my advice to those that are getting into the field at all is get really, really curious. So by proximity, we oversee a marketing ops function. I don't pretend to know marketing ops, but I follow a ton of people on LinkedIn. I follow a ton of people on these professional networks that do. And so for that reason, I see a lot of these topics come up that never would have occurred to me to ask. You don't know what you don't know. And so by staying super curious, it gives you an edge over other people because then you can say, hmm, I don't know how to build that campaign, but I know someone needs to build it. And I know we're all going to really kick ourselves if this doesn't happen. So it's able to protect yourself and protect those around you and just get... I think people undervalue the power of a good question versus a skill. And you don't have to know a lot um, to be really valuable. You just have to know what corners to look around. And I think that's a really big thing, especially when you're early in your career. Be a sponge. Soak it up. Learn. And then also don't undervalue what you learn from your mistakes and other people's mistakes. You don't have to carry the mistake to learn from it. And so there's a lot of times where you hear me say, we learned this the hard way. Please <laughs> don't, do, don't that do that again. again. Yeah. Um,
0: we tried that last year and it was terrible. Don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah.
1: Exactly. No, that's Attribute. Well, I think that's part of the beauty of learning from other people. Like you're learning mm-hmm. from their mistakes instead of your mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I, I, I could not agree more. I think being curious, like... There's so many communities these days. There's ways to connect with people on LinkedIn or other social networks, and I, I will never turn down someone you know who's coming up in their career that messages me and it's like I, I would love to pick your brain on a few things. I don't actually like that term, so if you're asking me, <laughs> like try to avoid that term. Brandon, Brandon
0: is going <laughs> but, to write the message for you right now that you have to send him <laughs> if you want to get advice from him.
1: Verbatim. Oh. <laughs> Verbatim. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I do have strong feelings about how to actually approach someone to get advice from them. Don't say "pick your brain." It's like, here are the things that I'm wondering. Uh, here's what I've tried before. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, right? Like. Well, it's not. And,
0: and, and it's, um, it, it goes to actually somebody messaged me this a couple, a couple weeks ago. It was one of my favorite compliments I've, I've ever received for the podcast, which was, I love that you guys own your failures on the podcast. Cause there were, there was a couple times where like, when we we're talking to John Miller and John Miller was like, don't put your accounts into tears. And we were like, Oh shit, we do that. <laughs> like, like, like we, we got to fix that right away. Right. Because like we, we learned from John's mistake like that, like, and, and we, and, True leadership, true like helpfully is sharing your mistakes with the world so that other people can see them and learn from them because otherwise if you're just saying do this do this do this you're not helping them understand the why doing this is important. So, I love that advice for people coming up in their careers. I think that's so important and don't be afraid to make mistakes and learn from them. That shows growth and leadership. That's that's super valuable. Right? Yep. So, I'm taking back over, Brandon. Thank you for plugging <laughs> in for a minute. Um, but uh, it was good. I, I'm sure it was great. Alec will cut you out later. Um, but the, always uh, doing your job, George. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Rachel, you, you're head of business operations. I know you've built out now a RevOps team, and you have a RevOps yep. people doing the thing. What's the structure look like? What does the RevOps structure look like at Lunchbox? Where did you start? I want to hear about that.
3: So we started with actually went a little bit backwards from what some folks will do. So I started with actually Biz Systems. So we have a dedicated Biz Systems analyst. She is phenomenal. And she came in and owned all of our systems across the company. I think of, especially in this remote age, tools are such a backbone in a way that they weren't before. I also have a lot of strong feelings on how many tools you should have. We can talk about that. That's that's, that's That's, later on. I have that question later on for you. Oh, gosh. Um, Less is more. Less is more.
0: (laughs) You and Jonathan are going to fight, and it's
2: going to be great. (laughs) I agree with her.
3: (laughs) And so, my first hire was Biz Systems because I wanted to get this. If the whole company is working really well and speaking the same language, everybody's going to be set up for success. Fast follow to our director of revenue operations. Um, his primary focus is sales ops, because if we're not selling, we're not getting paid across the company and in servicing and all the other things. But I'm sympathetic to that that team. And then next up was uh, a fast follow with CX operations, literally the next Monday. So he started, then she started. And then uh, marketing operations a few weeks after that. Um, and then I also oversee contracts and legal, which is a little bit of a different group. But I actually keep our systems. Separate from our RevOps team in terms of ownership, because revenue operations is not systems admin. You know they are they are not Salesforce is owned across the organization in a lot of cases. Um, once you add in a CPQ, you got finance at the table. Having a revenue operations person solely focused on a system rather than a skill set um, felt like a little bit of a distraction. And that's I mean we've been able to build this luxury department. I'm sure there's a lot of revenue operations people out there right now like. Hey, boss. They told me I don't have to, but um, for That's
0: me, like it was Jordan's really important. Eyes get wide. To, <laughs> I was so excited for what you just said. So excited. Say more, please. Say more.
3: Yeah, right. And so it was. It, it allows them to be the key stakeholders. But when you know someone's asking to talk about profiles and provisioning and deprovisioning and cross-functional and integrations and all of that we've got someone whose whole job is making sure this stuff is running really really well and their job is a little bit more of the nuance and speaking the language of the departments that they support. So by being an all-one team with dotted lines out to their respective departments they can be diplomats and they can speak the same language and they can ideally create uh, an experience across the revenue funnel that feels the same both internally as well as externally because a frictionless process. Leads to better sales, so and execution. So the whole thing ideally is uh, setting us all up to succeed. Nice. Stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the final piece there. No, but I, I love the idea of um, specializing in the role, right? Like, because really, and I think I think probably ninety eight percent of the people that listen to this in the ops profession are going to like deeply feel what you've just said, which is mm-hmm. have somebody dedicated to the systems, have somebody dedicated to the ops, because they're two different things, and a lot of times there's overlap mm-hmm. between those, and the ops requires help from the systems and so on and so forth, right? And the ops people certainly have to have a deep understanding of the systems to know what's possible and what's not there but separating those two functions and spe- like making them specifically focused on one thing is going to give you the ability to move the needle a lot faster right so if, if we at ring dna our ops team owns our systems for the most part like probably 85 90 percent of our systems we spend a lot of our time in the systems like that's that's true yeah. jonathan particularly it mm-hmm. spends a lot of time in systems. I'd seem to dump it all on him so that I don't have to do it. But, uh, but, but he owns a lot of time in the systems, and that's not necessarily always the best value use of his time. And so I, I love the idea. How do you make that happen? How do I, how do I have that conversation?
3: <laughs> <laughs> the way we have like uh, you look at how much money you spend on these systems. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars are you putting into these tools that you know, if they're not working well, all you're doing is buying more. Or if you aren't optimizing the stack that you have, again, I think it's this conversation for operations in general has been really exaggerated by the pandemic last couple of years, because one, we're all remote. And so if the tool doesn't work, nobody works. And also, we are relying on reporting in a way that we never were before. We're relying on data in a way we're relying on being able to predict what's next in a way that we maybe could have relied on a little more intuition. So being able to separate those systems out in a way that they can be maximized across the company and allowing operators to be prescriptive and to be thought leaders and to anticipate problems rather than take tickets is, is super valuable. Um, is it that way every single day? No, but we're in a much better place than we were um, when I've seen ops functions in other companies.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's it's like um it's it's the systems have become that much more important because of the structures that we're all working in now. And so as a result, it's almost necessary for us to not be ticket takers. Also, it speaks to the shift in ops, right? In general, over the past couple of years, ops has shifted from being that tactical, like ticket taker role to somebody who's looking at the data and actually analyzing it and making recommendations and strategic, like operating as a strategic partner to the executive team to make recommendations. And if I have to go in and update somebody's Salesforce user, that interrupts my ability to do that in a very strong way, right? So... I, I love and the even, concept.
2: And even on top of that, if something goes wrong, your entire yeah. team's not underwater. It's just the person that needs to fix the tool. So that, that's exactly. also a way to mitigate everybody's time in an emergency situation
0: and i I love that you've mentioned if a tool goes down it interrupts everybody's day our gmail went down today for like for like 45 minutes which locked us out of our calendars it locked us out of pretty much everything and so we were all sitting just quietly like early weekend it was like noon today (laughs) (laughs) what do you do even the sdrs are pinging me and they're like i can't schedule meetings because i can call people but i can't see the calendar to actually schedule the meeting. So it doesn't really, Like, what, what am I supposed to be like, yeah, let me get back to you on times. I cold called them, that doesn't work. And so it's, it's amazing what something as simple as like, Gmail goes down and boom, your entire team is shut down for the course of an hour, right? And that's a massive impact.
2: As an ops person too, when there's something out there that you just, you can't fix, it is the most frustrating mm-hmm. thing ever. Like when it's not in your department or it's beyond your control, oh my God. Yeah, So
3: rough. I didn't build Zoom. <laughs> I'd love to
0: help you. But um, did you
3: try restarting it?
0: Turn turn it off and turn oh, it back on again. It. By the way, that advice worked <laughs> when you're having trouble with your headphones. I just want to point it out. Like,
3: it did <laughs> it work. It did it work. work. <laughs> I had a Chrome update. It, we're, we're all here. We're here. <laughs>
0: It always works. It's it's like eighty percent of the time. Um, I still I'm still a little disappointed. Nobody watches the IT crowd or the IT crowd, but whatever. You guys can go check it out later. We'll, we'll plug that right now. We have homework. Yeah. Um, so so we've talked about the ops structure a little bit. I want to talk about edge cases. You mentioned earlier that you you sort of um, you oversee legal and contracts. I also do. By the way, I think you and I are probably the only ops people in the world who also sort of run that that division of the company, which is which is interesting and fascinating. Where, where does that sit? Like, should deal desks sit under RevOps? Does it sit under you? What, what does that look like?
3: So it depends. It depends on a couple of factors. It depends on the life cycle of the company. and it depends on Jordan's favorite answer, that by sell. the way. <laughs> <laughs> we practice. We practice. Okay.
0: It depends.
3: So the reason it depends is because, again, it goes back to the decisions you're making about your operations hires at all. And I consider this to be an operational role. It's a back-of-house role. And the conversations they're having dictates the profile you're bringing on. And the profile you're bringing on, if you have this luxury, and sometimes you're not staffed to the point where you can, but your manager should be able to do your job. So if you're the hiring manager, the people that report to you, you should at least be able to speak their language. Um, So for me, when I was the sole ops hire at the beginning of the year, I was doing the deal desk role. I was on the calls with customers. I was, you know, the person that was wordsmithing on the other end about this term. And it was great because it let me see what we needed as a business as a business was growing. Where are the gaps? Where's Where are the down funnel questions happening that we could be solving up funnel? It, it allowed it, you catch a lot that way. And For us, we brought on contracts because we started to get a little bit deeper, both on the vendor contract side, but also on our customer contracts. But what we do most of the time, the reason we are leaning into deal desk over internal counsel now is because a lot of our conversations are commercial terms, not legal terms. And so it really depends on what you're doing as a business and um, who you're selling to and who's across the table. We're also not talking to very many lawyers, whereas Jordan, you and I were catching up earlier. You probably get to talk to a lot of compliance and legal folks yeah different conversations so
0: much fun so much fun
3: <laughs> <laughs> a lot more redlining and so that really just you know you want to really bring people in that kind of mimic who's across from you at the table so you wouldn't want to bring in a a big white collar lawyer if you're selling smb doesn't make sense but if you're high volume constantly changing terms and need your contracts to be perfect to run into your billing system Maybe you are bringing in a deal manager, someone who's keeping your terms across your systems versus someone that's, you know, actually jumping on calls. So it could go a lot of different ways. That's my, it depends. I'm curious what, was yours a choice or a design decision?
0: It's a great question. Uh, So I don't know if you know, I'm actually a licensed attorney. And so so thus thus, the me holding deal desk piece because it sort of makes sense from a business standpoint as well as the legal standpoint so i do I do work with a lot of lawyers and and that makes sense because I am one um begrudgingly sort of but um but so it was uh we will grow out of that, certainly that that will have to change mm-hmm. F- for us though it, it's sort of what you're talking about, right like a lot of what we do, commercial terms reps are capable of handling our, most of what our procurement process goes through at RingDNA, it's, we're on the inverse of what you guys are, is is like legal negotiations, like finalizing the terms of the MSA. We have GDPR things. We have data privacy things. We have SLAs in place because we're software as a service. And there end up being like fairly lengthy agreements. And we work with a lot of enterprise businesses where they want 43 other things added to everything, right? And we end up with 90 page agreements, not, not infrequently. And that takes, that's legal terms. That's extensively in legal. And so for us, having a gc would probably be more palatable earlier than a deal desk because of the volume of deals and the size of the deals we're we're signing we're on that inverse. Jonathan looked like he had strong <laughs> thoughts but he uh he didn't. He didn't. No, I,
2: sorry. Sorry. I was, gonna t- I was just going to say, you brought that on yourself.
0: <laughs> I did bring it on <laughs> myself. But but to, but to your point, Rachel, it, it is really valuable. Like, I, th- I think every when you're the first hire, like, a RevOps person at a company, and, I, and Jonathan was here in marketing operations, I was, I was brought on probably what, two months later, Jonathan, just a couple months after you as the mm-hmm. first RevOps hire. It was really insightful for me. To sit in deal desk and meet with all the customers and mm-hmm. understand the problem we were solving, understand what they wanted in our deals, also just to see like what we were booking, like were we doing enough multi-year deals? Are we structuring these things in a way that's most advantageous to us? Is our MSA structured in a way that's going to help us like b- book recurring revenue? Like all of those things are really valuable to get insight into, and you miss that if you're not taking part in that early on. So I think it's important if you're the first biz ops or rev ops hire. To do those things, even if you don't like them, lean into it. You'll learn a lot.
3: Yeah, and in building, going back to the point we made earlier about you know being curious and uh, knowing what to ask. When you're a Series A company or when you're an early stage company, you can get away with a lot more, right? You can get away with a signed napkin. When hmm. you grow, and if your company's moving towards IPO or Series D and beyond, your paperwork really matters. And you have compliance, and you have to think about revenue recognition, and you have to think about um, cash flow. What you know, we're not you billing monthly versus billing annually. It's not just convenience; some of it might be, but this stuff matters to the business. And so, having someone in seat that can understand it um, and help reps understand it is super important. So, it really just kind of depends on who can speak that language, you can see it in a finance team. You can see it in a legal team. You can see it in a rev ops team. It just kind of depends on who's got that seat at the table at the time.
0: Totally. Totally agree. Any, any other like edge case teams that you think should sit, that, that sit under oh. you?
3: So not under me, but enablement I find is a pretty flexible one. That's a really, that's that's a really
0: interesting one. Yeah. I want to hear about that.
3: So I've seen it depends on, for me, your decisions should be how cross-functional the role needs to be. So for us, RevOps is incredibly cross-functional. It's all the way through the business. Um, Whereas enablement, we've chosen to specialize it by department. We might grow out of it. It's similar to if you ever want my opinions on like account management versus CSM. And when they bridge and come back together, I, I think they tend to do a little bit of this different conversation. Different podcast, but <laughs> enablement. <laughs> enablement is one where, again, it's probably someone that wears a lot of hats in the beginning and they could be an extension of rev ops, but Jonathan, you touched on this a little bit. Like what problems are they solving? What fire drills are they jumping on? That could be a good indicator of where they should align in the organization. So do you guys, how have you guys chosen to, are you also enablement? Are you deal desk enablement SDR rev ops?
0: So, first off, I just have to say, Jonathan, you can't just nod. You have to speak words. It doesn't take this as a podcast. The nod doesn't hard. work. If it's, if it's not an acceptable response to her complimenting you. Have some podcast etiquette, please.
1: Um, we just have to tell people. Jonathan's nodding, guys. Jonathan's
0: nodding. <laughs> a sound effect. Uh, this is, this yeah, is a very common thing. Jonathan nodded. Um, but, but no, so, so yeah, our enablement is actually run most Mostly by the managers themselves. So, so like sales, sales managers typically run their sales enablement. We do some enablement that's specific to like tech skills training and like training how to use Salesforce and doing some of that because ops is best suited to do that, in my opinion. But it's still enablement, like it's still training them how to be more effective using list views in Salesforce. To your point, I don't reps, I don't want to you know, like be running Salesforce, but I do need them to know how to like. Use a list view and like make calls out of the system and like use the tools that we've provided. That's super important. And we do a lot of training on that. Jonathan even did a training recently for the team, his first ever training for the sales team, by the way, oh, yeah. on on uh, how to find like campaign attribution in Salesforce and like what that means when you're cold calling somebody and you can see the campaign and how you can see the materials and then the call can be more tailored against it. Which super powerful enablement. That's really good to come from the marketing ops focus, right?
1: I think there's also a lot of I, I I could make an argument for you know a good partial portion of enablement being in product marketing too. Right, because a lot of the stuff that I'm doing and my team's doing, a lot of that market insights, uh, just a lot of the new messaging and a lot of the new positioning. Like, I'm going to sales and the SDR teams and training them on that. And I, I do think a lot more uh, product marketers these days, as product marketing is evolving itself, uh, a lot more of them are doing enablement too. So, um, I would say don't don't forget about your, your lovely product marketers.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it is, like, when I, now that I'm saying it out loud, I feel like we do own enablement a little bit, but a lot of it's just coordinating this, right? Like, making sure totally. that Brandon's yeah. coming to the things and doing that. I'm not actually leading most of these trainings, but it's, it's even the inverse. Like, by the way, Brandon, we're going to start requiring all marketers listen to, like, an hour and a half of CAI phone calls every week, and, like, that's enablement. Like, queuing those up to come to you guys and saying, listen and annotate these and send them back is... That's an enablement component that we will, we will do. And I don't actually have to do the work other than to coordinate it, which is super helpful.
1: <laughs> the, the, the more of that marketing can be doing, the better. Honestly, like uh, personally, I would even have marketing demo certified. Like, that, that's how important I think being able to sell for a marketer is. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't expect you to actually get on the, the call and actually demo anyone ever. I don't want you to. But like, I think you having that ability, you going through the training, you actually knowing what sales is expecting of you is such an important thing to do. So we're doing that now. That's happening.
0: Sorry, marketing team. Sorry, (laughs) you just committed the entire marketing team to get demo certified because because you know what's going to happen is Howard, our CEO, is going to hear that and he's going to be like, "Oh hell yeah, I agree with that" because he definitely agrees with that. So that's happening. Go do it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's a thousand percent happening. You're going to have to give a demo for the entire organization. Let's cut cut this piece from the podcast,
3: (laughs) including you, Alex. Demo live on the podcast. I think that's the next one.
0: (laughs) That would be good. That would be really good. With critiques like Brandon demos and then the rest of us just like, mm, you could have done this better. <laughs> <laughs> just Jonathan you didn't have nod. enough energy. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Jonathan will nod yes or no. Just cross his arms and lean back. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I think I think Brandon, the point to your point a little bit, it's all about building empathy. Mm-hmm, and that's yeah. the other big piece to really argue for putting RevOps. And in, in a team on its own, so our RevOps team rolls up to myself and BizOps, and then I roll up to our COO, CFO. And so what it does for us, it gives us a seat at the table, but more importantly, it forces us to be cross-functional in our language. And so I'd be actually interested, not my my board team, I'm out there thinking, like, they should all be demo certified, too. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you don't understand someone's problem, how can you possibly fix it? Yep. Right? And revenue op- RevOps and operators were problem solvers. I like to think that we have almost a product management mindset. Don't tell me to put in a field, tell me what problem you're trying to solve. And I'll tell you if that's a field or a pick list or whatever it is. And it's that mindset until we understand why they're asking the question, it's going to be really hard to understand what we're giving them. Um, And so it's just driving that from top to bottom. And then that's again, full circle the argument back to why revenue operations can hold so many different departments outside of those teams A sales ops-focused person, knowing what the pain points are and the CS team and the implementation teams, will help them pull a question upstream, will help them rule out certain prospects over others, will help them double down on the areas that we can upsell really early or tee up the conversations, and the whole thing should ideally work a little bit better, so... Yeah, there's a reason to speak each other's language. No, sure. it's
0: totally. It's like, if I know that this one question being asked at stage three in the deal process will make the implementation this much simpler, because I understand yeah. the implementation process and I understand the struggles that they're having, it's going to make our whole revenue operation smoother. right? And simple things like that can really move the needle. You can have Way more successful implementations, which increases the LTV of your customers because they stick around for a year or two longer because they had a better experience at the start, right? Super simple things that just understanding go to. I'm going to move us forward because we're going a little long, and I'm going to blame it on Brandon because that five minutes that he hosted, we really just stalled out, I think. Um, (laughs) Blame it on my
3: AirPods.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But just just some sort of like key actionable things or key takeaways from what we've just talked about. So, deal desk is an operational role. It should sit under someone that speaks the language, sit under the team that makes the most sense. So, if your deals are mostly dealing with commercial terms, sit under Ops, because they can speak the language, they can deal with the commercial terms. If they're dealing mostly legal terms, probably should sit under legal, because they need to speak that language instead, right? Um, that's that's one. Uh, separate tool management from RevOps. Everybody here, that's probably the number one takeaway, because every person listening is going to be like, yes, I want to do that immediately. <laughs> go put, go start that conversation, and good luck. Let us know how it goes. Let us know on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, like, we'll I really that. love it, and, and we're going to work on it here as well, <laughs> but I expect that there'll be some pushback. Um and and then the last key takeaway is demo certify everybody. I'm sorry, everybody listening, but everybody should be demo certified. And what I mean by that is, of course, demo certified, but also just learn the other roles of the teams that you're working with, like deeply and uh, deeply understand them in a way that not that you have, to, I'm not going to be a product marketer, but I should at least understand Brandon's job to the extent that I, he can tell me something and we speak enough of the same language that I can understand that problem. Key takeaways, is that is that anything I'm missing?
1: Well said. Well said. Cool. I'm
0: getting way better at that. By the way, it's so hard to like go through a thirty-minute yeah, conversation. I,
2: I would <laughs> botch <balk laughs> that so bad. Yeah,
0: I, I know you would just nod. We know. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We're cool. Ready. cool. Cool. All right. So. so Want to touch on one last thing, Rachel? Because I know you've got a lot of strong thoughts. You've already you've already tried to take it there a couple of times. Tools. Let's talk about <laughs> rubber hops and tools. Who decides on the tools? How do you decide on them? And how many do you need?
3: Oh my gosh! You need one. I'm just kidding. Revenue um, <laughs> Revenue.io. Revenue IO. Yeah, one you need. Jonathan. I'm yeah, about yeah, to get yeah. prospected so hard. <laughs> um, the all in one solution. Tools. Tools are. You should always. I believe you should grow into your tools, not out of your tools by the time you've invested and set them up. And pacing matters, right? Like, Is everybody growing at the same pace as Lunchbox? No. But if you buy something that you're going to outgrow in a couple, like the cost to do the change management is always undervalued. There's the cost of the tool. People understand the cost of the tool. There are so many 30K tools out there. I think that's like someone somewhere decided that's like the sweet spot for a SaaS Mm. tool. And... What is undervalued in that analysis? Many of, the, like in many of this procurement processes, is how much it takes to set up, change manage, onboard, and maintain it. Someone's got to keep that thing going. Every decision you make, it has to stay. And native integrations are wonderful, but native integrations aren't hands off. And so, when your tools are not talking to one another, that's another layer. So. Who should be making the decision? It should be centralized. That's why I love having biz systems because they can see across the organization. If you don't have a head count de- goodness, if you don't have a headcount dedicated to it, have at least a system that tracks them all in one place. Spreadsheet tool, something. Track all the connection points between them. You can do this really low budget. You can do this in a tool. I know many people sell this. And at the end of the day, if you can't. clearly articulate the problem that tool is solving and technically solve it without the tool, you haven't solved the problem and you're just band-aiding it. And so if you can't wireframe it and explain what the tool can and should do, you aren't probably ready for it. Um, And so less is more. Native (laughs) integrations are your friend. Um, Make sure you understand what it takes to it's like getting a dog. The dog's going to be really cute, but you're going to have to take it out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Don't forget it. laughs> no, you're, you're totally <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, we uh, revenue IO is built within Salesforce. We are a native integration, so you're speaking our language. We're super passionate yep. about native integrations at Revenue IO mm-hmm. because. We are one, and we're one for the exact reasons you've just said. It takes a lot less to manage. It's it's harder to. It's easier to set up. Also, I also have way more flexibility because it's native. It's it's just more powerful and, and less likely to break. And there's no delays. There's like a, f- a thousand reasons why an ops person will 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 opt for that. Don't do the things where you're like, I'm going to buy this tool and connect it with Zapier. Like, don't ever do that. Just just run yeah. away from that forever. Um,
2: Tell our competitors Zapier is not the not the. Is that did, did,
0: you, did you just did you just like. <laughs> target Zepier. that it's
2: target I don't know targe, it's, it's the same like like pardo pardot <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's a hard
0: r i don't know um, it's pardot but, but but by the way i love i love the like track all your tools use a spreadsheet like who cares if you're not doing it just use a spreadsheet like we, we, by the way we recommend people use spreadsheets for stuff all the time on the podcast because think smarter not harder right like don't go spend thirty thousand dollars on some tool to like track your other tools just put it in a spreadsheet that's totally fine for where you're at almost certainly right um, yep. And then centralized decision-making. Yeah, that, that makes the most sense. And what I take away from that is don't let teams just go buy their own tools. Like, that's it's oh, so I'm important because I no, think a yeah. lot of people are there, right? Like, sales bought this. And like, how can we connect it to marketing? Well, we can't because you <laughs> didn't, you didn't <laughs> talk to us first. Like, we have no idea... What this thing is going to do, like centralized decision making, have a team responsible for doing that and making sure that they are evaluating in a way that's not just does this solve the problem for this team, but does it actually work with the rest of our tech stack and the rest of our organization? Because that's equally important. Otherwise, you spend all your time plugging and replacing that thing for the next year over year over year. Cool. I love that answer. And now it's time that we jump over to everybody's favorite segment, where Rachel made her first appearance on the RevOps podcast, and she didn't even know because I absolutely I didn't, didn't ask permission to use your question on the podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> this week on LinkedIn. This week on LinkedIn, I got a I got a really fun question that's, that's probably long to to ask, but we're gonna do it anyways. So, say you're opening up a new geographic market, you got a GTM strategy in a new market what's your first hire or your first step in doing so? And the context of this is an Australian company actually messaged me asking, we are going to expand into the United States. What should we do first? Who should we hire? What should we do?
1: Pause for thought. Gosh, Pause that, for thought. Uh, I, well, good, that, yeah. well, there's so many questions that I have about this. Being ask
0: them, I actually had a 10-minute phone call about this with them. Oh, I jumped, nice. I, So I have all the context. I can give you what I can give you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, how did they
1: decide that they are expanding?
0: They decided they're expanding because of the opportunity available in the U.S. Essentially, they've they've done well in Australia, they've done well in the U.K., but the U.S. market is obviously much more financially large than the other two markets, and so they are looking at expanding here. I also think there's probably like a fundraising component to that that you know you can do more fundraising if you have a U.S. presence, and and um, just overall expansion globally.
1: And, and is 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 this also built into their POR, like their plan of record? Do you know? No. Or or okay, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, it's in their uh,
0: plan. I, I'm sure. but I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So wait. What's the question? Is where does the resource go? What's your first hire? What's your first hire or your first step? What's your first step? Um, Can do
3: business there is my first step. Do you have the currency? Do you have the languages? Do you have the licenses? Do you have the infrastructure?
1: Yeah, do you have everything Mm -hmm. that your sales team would need to, like your sales and marketing teams um, need to actually support, actually going to market there, right? Like it's not just hey, there's a guy or uh, let's hire someone in the U.S. and just like good luck, you know. Let us know how it goes, (laughs) right? It's all right. Let's make sure everything he has, he or she has everything they need to be successful. Right. So what do we need from product marketing? What do we need from the ops team? What do we need from the success team? Let's make sure and then the support team and the account management or whatever. Right. Um, And then, like, if the answer is, you know, yes, we have all that stuff in place. All right. Fine. Now go hire. I'd I'd still say no, by the way. Don't hire yet. Uh, Okay, okay, what did I miss?
0: miss? The thing you missed is spend six months marketing into that and have your local reps sell Hmm. it to see if there's Hmm. actually interest and warm up the market. Because why am I going to go hire somebody to be a seller there? I don't even know if anybody there wants my thing because I haven't advertised there. I haven't seen the results of any of that. And so I can ask my sellers, hey – does anybody want to cover America? Time zone sucks. I get it. Somebody's going to raise their hand because it's a huge mm-hmm. market, right? And I'm mm-hmm. going to say, hey, you're going to get a marketing budget. We're going to market to the West Coast exclusively like crazy. We're going to see what interest there is over the coming you know, three to six months. And the moment that I see enough interest, then I hire a U.S. rep to do it.
1: The, yes, yes, yes. I, I now feel stupid for not coming up with that. <laughs> 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 because it, like... In demand gen, everything I do yeah. is like, how can I test this as small as possible, at low risk as possible, as quickly as I can, prove it out, and then iterate from there. So, um, well, well done, well done. Jordan. <laughs> This goes back to me understanding your job
0: so that yeah, I know yeah, how to speak go. the language, right? Like, but no, and, and then, yeah, and then, and then my first hires, if, if there's interest, if all those things are true, because you guys are right. And by the way, I missed when I answered the question to them, like, make sure you have, like, the technologies to support this, right? Like, operationally, financially, too. Like, totally didn't cover that. So they're going to listen, and then they should do this. I'm going to send this episode and do, do what you guys said. Do what we've collectively come up with together. But yeah, make sure you have all the operational pieces in place. Make sure you have the tools in place. Then warm up the market. Make sure that it's warm enough to actually support a seller there. Then go hire somebody that can not only be a seller, but also a potential leader there. They can like, build out a team, start to like, grow that market for you. They've got experience growing a market on their own, because they're going to be on an island. And you're not, you're not going to want to hire just like, some standard enterprise AE to do this, you're going to want to hire somebody that's got some leadership background.
3: And ideally I'll add to that. So ideally someone who's seen the other side of the fence, like if you almost a general manager mindset versus a sales mindset, someone that can come in and it's, they're excited to sell it and then go train them. They're excited to sell it, troubleshoot and train them. They aren't scared away by bugs and growth opportunities. Someone that's excited to get rolled their sleeves. Um, and then be able to kind of pass the reins. So it's probably actually a different person than who's going to be in that, that role long term. Um, the Your first employees are rarely the ones that are there with you at scale because it's a totally different mindset. It's a totally different risk tolerance and it's a totally different, it's a dive and catch employee, which is a different mindset than your keep the engines running employee.
0: Yeah. And you're going to have the, you're going to have, no matter how you do it, you're going to have a, a period of time where you've got this sales rep closing deals in the U.S. and they're relying on like your Australian support team and your Australian implementation team, right? And, like, and like mm-hmm. theoretically, you're going to be like, "Yeah, we'll provide resources and do this." But the reality is, is that rep is going to have to be way more involved with those things than any other rep is, and that's just something that you have to take into account in the hiring process. To your point, like, it's just a different role than a standard enterprise sales rep. It's it is a general manager is a great term for it. I love that
2: and i would make sure that person's got some technical chops for sure.
0: Yeah, cuz if yeah, they get well. locked out of salesforce at 2 a.m. australia time, <laughs> no, nobody's going to know what to do, right? Like yeah. that's super super important. Like, yeah. Um yeah. cool. I love it. Anything we want to add to that answer?
3: The last piece of advice is find someone who's done it. Ooh, yeah. I mean, there's, Ooh. this world is so mm. I mean, find I can think of an australia a couple of australian companies that made the transition over, find someone that looks exactly like you, that's like six to 12 months ahead of you, have them tell you what they did wrong, right? Asking mm-hmm. a bunch of Americans what to do here, assuming that we're all Americans here, but uh, asking a whole bunch of people that have worked here their whole lives, we probably take a lot of stuff for granted that we wouldn't be thinking about for someone that's crossing over. So
0: Totally. No, I love that's that. Point. I love that. Anything you else? Very
3: few problems are new problems.
0: Yeah, it goes back to we're circling way back. Learn from other people's mistakes. Learn from other there people's mistakes.
2: Full circle. And everybody,
0: kid Alec, can we put a little like, by the way, just a little timestamp on that moment where I just owned Brandon in his own realm, so that we can make sure that that clip is the the one that goes out to That's the world.
3: That's teaser. Forget me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon admitting that I outdid
1: him for the first
0: time. For once. For the once, Jordan <laughs> actually said something smart on the yeah, podcast. Guess. Cool. Well, well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody listening, you can find Rachel on LinkedIn and follow her. Um, she she puts out some good content. And is a wonderful insights for for everybody. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us as well as follow us all on LinkedIn and send us your questions for this week on LinkedIn as well as give us a five star review on Apple if you like us. And if you don't. Tell me why before you give me a one-star review. Thank you (laughs) so much, everybody. Thank you, Rachel, for being here. And we'll see everybody next week.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel.
3: Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Take care.